Welcome to Music Matters Podcast with Daryl Craig Harris, talking about all things music with celebrities, artists, music business insiders, and more. Hi guys, welcome to Music Matters, a podcast about all things music. Today we have an awesome uh, special guest. It's a legendary house music producer, remixer um, out of Chicago. He was originally with the Hot Mix 5 crew from Chicago. He's produced a long list of celebrities, including Madonna, J-Lo, Beyonce, Katy Perry. So many, it's hard to keep track. <laughs> How are you doing, Ralphie Rosario? I'm good. How are you, Daryl? <laughs> I am good. So we tried to do this last week, but you were feeling a little bit under the weather. Now you're doing... The- yeah, you know, we were talking about that earlier. It was uh, weird. Like, I, do I have a cold? Do I, I have a flu? <laughs> do I have COVID? But luckily, it was just a cold, so we're good. Yeah, I know. These days, you have to be careful, which is which is good. Being careful is, is awesome. Yes, very careful. So, where where are you at? You're are you in Chicago? Or are you near Chicago? Or I am near Chicago. I am in uh, a small town called Norwich. It's right off of the right close to the airport. And uh, it was good, a good decision to move here because I was five minutes away from the airport. So awesome. every time I was traveling, I was home in five minutes, as opposed to the thirty minute horrible commute yeah, right. <laughs> into the city <laughs> yeah i love chicago and yeah, that's a crazy place like you said like airports or just getting downtown is, is nuts yeah you know when you get off a plane for nine hours and you got this grit like it's a it's an inch thick on your body and you got to <laughs> ride with that yeah. you know yeah the, well the cool thing about chicago is getting to europe and we were just talking about that too like getting to europe is easy and i mean that's one thing i live yeah. in vegas so like getting to europe is like a whole ordeal <laughs> for oh well, I mean, it's been great, especially the European thing, going to Italy all those years and going to Germany all those years mm-hmm. and doing the whole European thing. It, it was, it's been great. Yeah. So let's talk about your background. Like it's, it's fascinating. We, so how we actually originally met was we have a mutual friend and actually you're one of your producing partners, Craig J. Snyder, who's in Chicago. Yes. Um, I played with Greg, actually. I'm a bass player. So I played with him on the David Cassidy thing way, way back when. Awesome. And, um, awesome. and Craig's a talented guy. And he he um, introduced me to you. And I, the house music thing is really interesting because like we all grew up with that, like right in the 80s. That was when it started really, maybe late 70s, it started really kicking. Um, yeah. Tell us about your beginnings. So the Hot, hot Mix 5, and you were actually still in high school, right? When that started? Yes, I was. I was a freshman in high school and I must have been 14 and a half, 15 years old. Wow. And um, I belonged to a record pool. It was called Naja Record Pool. The pool director's name was Don St. James. He was connected with a lot of radio people, uh, especially with the Black Urban stations. Mm -hmm. And one of them in particular was a station called WBMX. And WBMX uh, approached Don St. James. They all knew him. And they said, listen, we want to start, uh, you know, like a, a, a clubby mix show thing on the weekends. You know, can you have your DJ submit tapes to us? You know, and back then we were recording reel to reels. So um, I was a member of the pool. And then he said, Don encouraged me to uh, record. And I did. And I sent them tapes every week. They never got played. Yeah. Every week, they never got played. Yeah, because <laughs> there's then, so much stuff coming in, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, you're probably dealing with 25 to 50 DJs, and maybe right. some of them were doing them, and some of them weren't. So all of a sudden, I decided to keep doing it. And then one night, I, I said, this is the last time I'm going to listen. I'm bored with this. And then I heard the first song come on, which was D-Train called You're the One for Me. And I'm like, that really sounds like my mix that I did last month. <laughs> and funny. then as soon as the second record came in, I'm like, that's me. Wow. It has to be me. And then at the end, they announced my name and then I freaked out. Yeah. Because I mean, Chicago, people that, you know, obviously a lot of people obviously realize that's a big market, but 
as far as a radio market, that's one of the top markets, right? It's Chicago, LA, New York. Yeah, it was for especially for the pr prolonged period of time that it was during the you know mid to late eighties into uh, into the early nineties. Right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So as a, a young, I mean, you must have felt like king of the hill. <laughs> well, you know what? But here's the thing: that when you're fifteen or sixteen years old, you just know what you know in terms of what you what you're doing. You're right. not expecting it to take you as a vehicle, take you somewhere. For me, it was like. It was a pure joy of listening to all this wonderful music and being able to do an endless web of music for an hour. Yeah. It was just fantastic. Um, and I, also, like that group of guys, actually, everybody sort of got on to do really amazing things. Can you tell us who, so who was like sort of the background of the Hot Mix 5 crew? And, and The original the members of the Hot Mix 5 were myself included. And then there was Kenny Jason, who was a disco DJ on a station called WDAI, who I followed when I was younger. Oh, okay. And then he was on that station. Then there was Mickey Oliver. Then there was Scott Sills. And then there was Farley. They call them Farley Funkin' Keith, a.k.a. Farley Jack Master Funk. Cool, cool. And that, um, so in the time period of that, that's like 79, 80. Is that, that correct? No, that was actually around 81. Okay, cool. And then it went on to like 89, 88. What was your... Um... So I, I, I'm sort of familiar with house music, just on a not, you know, I'm not a historian on that, but I know there's, I grew up with that music. Like we all grew up with, with what was going on with Run DMC and that kind of stuff. And, right. and I know you have like house music and then EDM, but EDM is really something that happened later, right? Is that? Yes, because the original, the original roots of what happened with dance music is basically, it really all started with disco. Oh, okay. That's all there is to it. Right. And then when that demolition thing happened in Chicago, it went underground and it went into another and it morphed itself, it, itself into another genre. Okay. And that genre became house. Yeah. So you have guys that took that original disco stuff and were just starting to play with the mixes right. and playing with ideas. Because there was a lot of soul to it. So that's what it was. It was just a lot of soul dance music is what I classify house as soul dance music. And before you know it, it took in a shape of its own and it just called it dance music. I remember Epic changing their disco right. <laughs> 12 and cover. yeah because everybody kind of burned out like disco. Yeah. you know it's like okay <laughs> that's funny yeah like i guess i mean the disco you think about music in general because i mean i always i'm a musician but what i always got a long time ago was that it's just about feeling good and people want to dance people want to have a good time so that's really what that's all about right that's exactly what it's all about and it's always been that way uh now when you talked about edm it's just the same almost the same thing but it's just taking on a different form, yeah. Uh, different form for a lot of younger people, and it's graduated. Um, what's it seems like you know, looking through your career, a big part of what you do, almost it seems like almost all of what you're doing is collaboration. You're obviously working with um, other artists, um, other remixers, producers. What's your feeling on that, like the collaboration part of it, and, and that kind of thing? I like the collaboration part of it because I love talent and I love talented people. Mm -hmm. I love people who get it. I love people who understand a direction. I understand. Uh, and I like people that actually finish. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> <Their product. laughs> yeah. You could talk about it, but you got to get it done. Right. But that's always been me. I mean, I've, you know, you know how it is. You're playing your instrument or you're recording, dude, you don't want to leave until it, and then it feels so great. You come out of there with this energy. Yeah. You're like, 
I actually did something amazing today. Yeah, you, you know? want to like pinch it off and get, get it exactly. done. And so you listen to it the next day and go, what the fuck was I thinking? This is shit. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, the cool thing too is like, you know, you know what you know and you bring your own flavor, but it's nice to get ingredients yeah. from different people. That's when it really gets something. something yeah, it is. And Craig is one of those people. He inspired me because the thing is that I come from, you know, making beats, you know, right. and playing with drum machines and all of a sudden learning how to program in a computer. And then he came in and he started showing me about digital audio. Right. Okay. Because you came and from, you came from the analog playing. world, like all of us did. Yes, I did. Yeah. I mean, we were carrying drum machines and keyboards and sequencers and striping tape, <laughs> right, you know, exactly. to make a 124 BPM track. And then the tape would bend in the middle and we were fucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I, I'm, a, I'm a Sound City guy from the two inch tape. Yeah. Like, I, but but you know what? You know what I mean. That yeah. stuff. I mean, you know, we, there's a lot of stuff about that with as far as the sound quality. But that's yeah. also you listen to those records, like even the old you'd say like disco stuff that was coming out of like Germany and all that that way back then. Like it still sounds yeah. good. It still sounds good. No, it does. And then now, even now with technology and me having access to a lot of old multi tracks from a lot of these songs. Mm -hmm hear it up close and you hear you know what you know what you hear you hear the sincerity and the rawness right. of all these productions not to mention you hear the truth coming out of their voices when they're singing these songs yep and that's something i talk about a lot i mean that, that how like it doesn't have to be perfect it doesn't have to be like every, today everything's nice and clean and shiny but a lot of the charm in those old records is something's a little out of tune. You're something's just a little a turd, Daryl. Exactly. But a lot of that, <laughs> a, lot of the, a lot of the charm of that stuff in the groove is stuff like, you know, it wasn't exactly like I always think of like the delight thing, you know, groove is at the heart. Like it's just a fun track, and and like maybe not everything's exactly in tune or whatever, but it's it's fun. Oh, but it's timeless and it works. Yeah. yeah. Um, it worked. What's what are you um when you first got started as far as releasing, did you, were you releasing with other people? How did that work for you? Um, there was a lot of friends in Chicago that were putting labels together. Mm -hmm. They didn't know the first thing about making music, but they wanted to get into the record market and they wanted to put out records and see about selling and making me, you know, money. Right. And for me, it was a learning curve because it threw me into the studio and I had no idea what a studio was all about and how to do yeah, it. Yeah, because you've been, you've been doing it at, at your house, right? Well, I mean, like now, I mean, come on, we have a luxury of like having 64 tracks on our computer and, and, and writing to our heart's content. Back in the day, you paid an hour for each of those tracks. Right. And you're seeing 75 to $150 an hour. You paid for those tracks. Yeah. Yeah. In blood, right? <laughs> so, yeah. I know. Afterwards, they go, oh, dude, I, I don't have any money to pay. Well, you're not getting these tapes. Well, that's and that's actually one of the great things about working with established artists because they're getting, like you said, you're getting their masters to play with. Like you're not having to, on that end of, yeah. the, end of the spectrum, you're not having to, 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 to create well, those tracks original. As a technical person and re and then remixing coming across my desk, you know, um, in the late 80s into the 90s um, and experimenting with that, I realized that I, I had a niche for it because of my technical skills mm -hmm. and hanging out with so many engineers back in the day, especially in Chicago, Chicago tracks, they taught you trickeries. I sat there and I sat with, in, in sessions with them. Yeah. You know, and I realized, I said, no, nope, they're not doing that right. They're not doing this right. I don't like the way this sounds. I don't like the way that sounds. And now when I actually had full control over it, it came out better than I imagined. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, that's sort of like really apprenticing, right? Right. And you're, you're, you're basically it's, instead of having to pay thousands of dollars to go to a school, they're going to teach you. It really is. Right. They're going to teach you theories. 
It's always been me, even when I DJ. That was the same thing. Yeah. I didn't go to school to DJ. I actually hung around with a lot of DJs in like 79. Ah, okay. I snuck into their parties and they had me in their booth. I just sat there and watched them. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know what? And that's how I've been too. Like I went to music school way back when, but you kind of go to school and you forget all that stuff and you have to figure out how to work and how to make a living. And <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, that's the funny thing is like, this was for, for me, this was just a hobby. Right. And it's always been a hobby. And, you know, um, it turned into something, you know, great. And uh, I think, you know, it's, it's had its time to tell you the truth. And a lot of people um, they've done their, they've made their mark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you, um, as far as getting into the artist thing and, and working with, with well-known artists, how did that come about? Like, what was the pathway to that? Um, I, they were a lot of A&R people that I knew in New York. They were, we were friends mm-hmm. and they decided to take a chance. And, uh, one of the first things that happened was I wanted to get into the remixing game. So I started hanging out with these people at ID records in Brookfield and okay. that was Steve Snook Hurley. And Steve Silk Hurley was famous for um, his big claim to fame was Crystal Waters that he did um, Making Happy. He did Joe Manda, Got a Love for You. Right. He was at the top of his game. And so I wanted to be part of their production team. Hmm. So I went in there and I knew one of the engineers, actually Larry Sturm, God rest his soul. He used to work at Chicago Tracks and he went to work for ID as well. And he was Steve's engineer, right-hand guy. So I went in there and um, did my thing and they had access to record companies and labels right. and our directors. And then they bought my name up and they, you know, threw me a bone or two. I did a couple of things there. Yeah. You're proving yourself, right? Yeah, totally. But then the last thing that happened was I got a remix for Debbie Gibson called free me. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, the, when I came back, I called the next day, one day and the guy who's working at ID records at the Brookfield office says, don't go in there. He says, we took all our stuff and we left oh. because Frank Rodriguez was stealing money from us, oh. the manager. Oh. Mm. And they left me with nothing. I had no master tapes, no recordings, no nothing. Oh. And then when I approached the guy, Rich Christina at Atlantic, who was, was an excellent heart of gold. He said to me, did you get paid for this? I said, no, I didn't. Mm. And he says, oh, my God, Ralphie. He says, I said, they just packed up everything and left me in the cold. He sent me $1,500 for that remix. I turned it around and bought an MPC 60 and a bunch of other stuff, mm-hmm. right? When you could, whatever you could. Right. And he hired me to do another remix. Wow. And that is a man who had a heart of gold. Yeah. And yeah. then from there on, I started getting little things coming my way. And I had, I became a bedroom producer. Yeah. Well, that's, you know what, I set up everything in the, in the bedroom and it worked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is like, that's, and that's actually one of the really cool things about the modern day situation with, I mean, you can literally do stuff in your laptop. You can even do stuff on your phone, but what's, right. what it's done is it's really democratized that whole world. Like you said, you don't have to spend 20,000 to go into a studio. You can do your stuff, send it out, get it heard online. Like that, how is that the technology difference obviously has been gigantic. How has that affected you? How has that Get you got you excited or, or the positive? It did get me excited, but then the oversaturation of music, in other words, stuff coming out on Monday and dead by Friday, right? Was really, really made me scratch my head going, Do I have to release a song every week? Right. Yeah. You know, and uh, the staying power is non existent. Hmm. They don't work the music the way they should. 
Yeah, yeah, and the promotion budgets aren't there as they used to be, right? No, and the accessibility for everyone. That's you know what my my friend Jody Dembroder, who I love him to death. He was in charge of a lot of Thunderpost Productions, a lot of stuff that he did. He was one of these programming guru guys. Mm -hmm. He said to me, and I never forget it. He says, "Just because you can make music doesn't mean you should." Well, yeah, it doesn't mean everybody should for sure. Exactly. (laughs) But you know what? For me, like I listen, like. I think you're probably the same way. I listen to everything. I mean, I listen to metal. I listen to rock. I listen to jazz. Because to yeah. me, it's all just music. It's all creative. If it's good, especially if it's good music. Right, exactly. And and and, and even good is subjective in some ways, I guess. But it, it's, it's you know, the thing about it, again, it comes back to making it feel people tap their foot, make them want to dance. And that's kind of been a big part of your career, right? Yes, entirely. And I feel it every time I'm behind my own little console here in the studio, um, and I'm programming something or I'm inspired to do something and it, it all comes together fairly well when I'm really into it and I'm feeling it the right way. Yeah. And, and as, as far as like, I know, uh, with Craig J, our, our mutual friend. So Craig's a great piano player. Um, actually I met him, like I said, playing with uh, a David, we did a David Cassidy thing together, a memorial concert, but working right. with musicians and, and doing, bringing in that element on what you're doing. Is that something that's, that's gotta be really fun for you. It, it's something that I've always done. Hmm. Um, and uh, Craig was also there to help the help facilitate that movement for me mm. to understand what that would be like and all that other stuff. Um, and his experience with all of it rubbed off on me, especially <laughs> the pitch thing. Yeah, because I was always like, you know, maybe off a little bit on the tracks in terms of pitch or whatever was going on. Sure. And he would correct me to the point where now if I hear somebody that really is like, I can't watch American Idol. I know. I could never watch it. Uh, yeah. It made me crazy. You know, so he forced me to dig into it. And one of the first things I did with a live musician, and I was telling a friend of mine this yesterday, was I had a remix for Donna Summer called I Will Go With You. Mm. And uh, the A&R director, my friend Frank out of nowhere goes, you know, I really hear a flamenco guitarist in here somewhere. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> I don't know anything about recording a flamenco guitarist. Right, right. But Craig turned around. He goes, yeah, call this guy. His name is such and such Sanchez. He's really amazing. Bring him in. He's great. Yeah. And I did. And I recorded him. And I couldn't believe what came out of it. Yeah. I mean, the awesome thing, too, where you guys live in Chicago in that area. I mean, there are so many great musicians. There's so much great talent. I have so much respect for people who play instruments. I really do. Yeah. Did you, was your family musical? Like, did you have, uh, did they play instruments? Did they do? Sort of. My, my, um, sorry to interrupt you. Um, My, um, my brother uh, before me played saxophone. Okay. My brother before him played trumpet. I had an older brother who was always dabbling in guitar. Hmm. And uh, two of my brothers, the two brothers that I had that played brass were in a salsa band. And uh, they were always playing. Yeah. And I think, I mean, um, obviously you're from a Latin family, I think, obviously. Um, And my wife's actually Mexican. So I I know that from that culture, the Mexican culture, like music is an integral part. Right. And that was that seems like that was with the same with you guys. Right. It was, um, but for me, I was always fascinated by records. Ah. I was fascinated by records. I was, and then all of a sudden, when uh, I mean, I was in a house where my brothers and sisters were always listening to soul disco. They were listening to the OJ's. They right. were listening to R and B like Phyllis Hyman. I, pl- I played Sarah with Lynn. Phyllis actually. <laughs> huh? I played with Phyllis. 
Oh, I did her last tour. Yeah, it's it's she's one of these timeless yeah. voices that I will never ever ever forget. She was a sweet lady. I actually did a tour with her and Billy Preston. Billy was the musical director. Oh wow, cool! Yeah, we did. It was called Blue. Yeah, I bet you that's a story within itself. Well, it was. There's a lot. There's a lot of stories. I mean, Billy was a sweetheart. Yeah. You know, and of course, yeah. he was good friends with the Beatles guys. But uh, yeah. yeah, Phyllis was, was a sweetheart. Yeah, those voices like. You know, we have voices today, and there's some definitely some great voices, but there's something there was something magical about those guys, right? Right, because they didn't have to rely on computers to make themselves sound better. Yeah, they could sing in tune. <laughs> That's a big, a big thing. Even though they might have been off by a note or so, right. it does not, it does not unbalance the fact that majority of their performance was absolutely stunning and perfect. Yeah. Yeah, and I, like I think, like you said, like the not having the computer crutch to lot to you know, and also as an A and R guy, right? You can't fix stuff back then, not as easy as you can now. So they have to get a guy that can actually deliver or a lady, right? Right. Um, right. Who's some of the favorite artists that you've worked with that you've remixed, and and who, who do you get excited about when they when they call you? Um, the one of the ones I was excited about the most was Donna Summer. Yeah. I know I love playing um, her. My friend was playing bass with her before she I mean, We're talking about like the whole Giorgio Moroder and Pipalotti mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And uh, she was one of the people that I, I loved to do the most. And then there was Gloria Stefan. Yeah. The Stefans were so good to me through all these years in the 90s. They were so great to yeah, me. And, and Jorge, the bass player, was integral in, in that production too with them, right? Yes. And and actually, the other person who was actually a sweetheart, it was absolutely amazing, and will call me out of nowhere, which used to freak the shit out of me, excuse me, was Ricky Martin. Ah, and Ricky cool. was also one of these people that, uh, you know, took a chance on, on everything and everything that he was coming out with, I was actually doing. So I was very, very happy about that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, the cool thing about those guys, like being Gloria and, and Ricky, is it's feel good music. I mean, you got the Latin thing going on too, which is really, that's really fun music. to play with, right? Yes, it is really, it, it, it's great. And the fact that I had my Latin flair to add to whatever it is that we're doing, they totally got that. They ate it up. Yeah, and did, I, you, um, I think you did also J-Lo, right? Yeah, Jennifer Lopez was another person uh, who was great to uh, work with. And some of the songs that she did were a lot of fun also. <laughs> awesome. And uh, to get your hands on that and, and bite into that. Um, and uh, one of the other ones actually, oh, I have one of them that actually stood out more than any. Oh yeah, Goldfrapp. Yeah, Allison Goldfrapp, right. um, who basically hates every remixer out there. <laughs> he does. She doesn't want anybody touching. Yeah, stuff. the remixing thing—it's tricky for that, right? Because these guys—they want control over their, their their art. That's exactly who she was. And then I had approached uh, Mark, the Sainar director at Mute in the UK. I said, "Hey, Mark, I really love this song called Anymore." from this album can i you know i'll do a spec on it i just love the song so he did he sent it to me <clears throat> and i worked on it and we're, i never forgot it sat in the hotel room in boston between my gig and i did the entire mix there and i sent it in and then the next day i got an email and he said allison wants to send you an email she wants to talk to you i'm like oh <laughs> yeah you're like uh oh <laughs> he's gonna dog me but instead she said this is so fucking sophisticated. I am dancing in my office right now, and I cannot believe how you turned this around like this. Awesome. And so she hired me to do Systematic wow. or Sister Magic at the same, uh, right after that. Yeah. So he was one of my favorite people, and I love Goldfrapp for taking their chances on whatever they do when they write their music and how they put it together has been amazing. Yeah, and I mean, to have trust from artists like that, 
it takes a long time to to get there, right? Where they, where they they're going to trust you to 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 sort of mess yeah, you, mess you, with their you baby. Know, especially you really have to prove yourself in that in that realm. And if you do that, the sky's the limit. And they totally have respect for what you do. But if you destroy their work, like Annie Lennox did, uh, a friend of mine who I know back in the day remixed an, an Annie Lennox a rhythmic song, and she says. I had a painting and you splattered all over it. <laughs> yeah. That was that was what she said. Right. Well, that's and you can't mess with Annie Lennox. So I'm like, yeah. okay. Yeah, I mean, that's the, I mean, that thing is that's their baby, right? That's their child. Yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like you just whizzed all over my child. Um, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> not to be overly graphic, but yeah. Um, oh God. Yeah. When you get a track, um, what's your first do you have a, a sort of a thought process that you normally use, or do you kind of approach everything separately? How's what, um, what's your thing with that? I really feel that first of all the chorus has to come out to me hmm. i have to kind of i have to l listen to it and say can i sing along to this right and um that's why i gravitate towards those i've turned down a lot of stuff that i didn't really thought that it would be worth anything hmm. you know but of course just like any musician or you know remixer or producer you sometimes you take on these projects because they're paying you a lot of money right yeah so you go and you do it that's, but, that's always the know. thing right it's sort of the yin right. and yang of it <laughs> yeah, but I, I put it this way, you know, I'm going to do the best that I can and, and do what I know how to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's exactly how it, it usually forms forward. Yeah. So do you do you start with I mean, so you check out the course, do you start by laying a beat? Is that is that kind of I mean, I, I noticed with your, your stuff which I really dig. I was checking that out this week. Um, like the, the, just obviously the beat is the most one, probably one of the most important. It's very important. I think that when I first start to do remix, well, a remix on anything, and the tempo's right now. I don't have to do a lot of work, especially with time stretching and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it's very easy to lay drums, especially dance drums, 4-4 four, four drums underneath it. And right. if it feels good as they're singing along, everything just comes right at me. Yeah. And because, I mean, the thing it's is, too, you're mixing for, for, I mean, not only for clubs, but that is a big part of what you're doing, right? Because this, this stuff is going to get out there. Right. Yeah. But at, at the same time, I want the quality of what the song is is doing and the integrity of the song to stay intact. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what, what's some of the other artists that come to mind that you've that have been particularly fun for you? Um, Mariah Carey was fun. Hmm. I was very nervous. about. Yeah. That. She, she has a bit of a reputation <laughs> being challenging. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was really nervous about that. Um, Janet Jackson, when she did feedback. Oh, okay. Uh, Timberland that was also pretty interesting and very cool um but the biggest one for me um which basically just kicked the door right open crazy wise was the Pussycat Dolls don't you oh okay yeah it's a bad it's right. a bad song too because they good. were they were they were nobody and the song was done by a previous girl group I don't know who the who this woman was or the girl group I forgot who it was but um <clears throat> Pussycat Dolls was given to me by the people at Interscope, my friend Juan, and I heard it. And I'm like, this chorus says so many things to so many different people. Right, yeah. Don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? It can be, the first thing I said, it's a gay man telling a straight man. Don't you wish that I was just as fun as your girlfriend is? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You could look at it. I mean, that's, that's cool how thing. I took it. Right. I mean, that's the <laughs> cool thing. Cause like you get something like that. I mean, that was like, and then, you know, people like, there's people that like, you know, house music or like those kind of tunes. There's people that don't, but like the thing is, if it's a good hook, it's a good hook. Right. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it doesn't a, matter it what the genre. It was a fun hook. And yeah. I'm like, this can be, this can be a lot of fun. So I started to work on it. I programmed the drums on it. 
I got Craig to come in and do keys. Awesome. I added my own stuff on top of what he did, found the right stacks, found the right tweaks, sent it in. I didn't think much of it afterwards. I'm like, I worked on this all week. I'm exhausted. You know, it's oh, can you just go away already? And that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And then it just basically became the summer anthem, I think yeah. in 2008 or something. And it just blew up in my face. Yeah. And she's, um, is it Nicole? I can't remember. Is that the girl that's Nicole? Nicole Scherzinger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard to say. But she, I'll tell you what, one thing about her, like whether, again, whether or not you like the group or not, but like she's smart. She knows exactly what she's doing. And like, yeah, she's a beautiful, talented woman. I had the privilege of meeting them backstage when they came to tour in Chicago. And she just saw me and she was like, come here. I fucking love you. Yeah. You did. You did her a good one. <laughs> that song. Yeah, and I'm like, it's like, mama, you know what? I'm just doing what I know how to do yeah. to the best of my ability. And it just so happens that we fell into the pocket together. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, those things like, you know, we all look for those little moments, right? The little lights in our, in our careers where things kind of come together. Yeah. And those things become timeless. And to me, it's still timeless. Yeah. Yeah. And we all, I mean, that's, that's the thing. If you're, if you're fortunate to get even just one of those, a lot of people would be like, yes, but you've had a number of them, which is awesome. Yeah. On, on the remix front, there's been a couple of them, but the one that stands out in my own production was used to hold me, hmm. which is the first serious thing that I had actually done with Cynthia Baker, the singers, AKA Xavier Gold. Right. And it was the first thing that was just out of just joy and fun and just getting involved in creating a house record out of Chicago. Yeah. What, what's, um, I know you've got a lot of things going on now. Let's talk about, I know we, we just talked about that picture behind you. So tell me about that. Yes. So if, can I, if I could bring it up here and yeah, show absolutely. you, there's, a vinyl only situation, and it's called This Is Ralphie Rosario. Awesome. I love that cover. It's badass. And it has, yeah, it was great. It was actually designed by myself and my friend Pete Augusta, who's a best friend and graphic artist. And uh, this is Ralphie Rosario's vinyl only, it has 16 tracks. Awesome. And uh, basically, it has some old stuff and some new stuff. So it's got some of the typical um, Ralphie signature songs, mm -hmm. like you used to hold me's on there, uh, re sang by a friend of mine, Samantha Blanchard. There's also a new song with a, a singer in Chicago, Andrea Love, that my friend Eric Cupper remixed. And Eric Cupper was the other side of Director's Cut with Frankie Knuckles. Oh, cool. So there's all these things that were on there. And I decided just to kind of do a greatest hits and touch on that and and uh, just do a vinyl only because I've always been a vinyl person. Yeah. You know, the vinyl thing has really made a huge resurgence. Like what, what's your feeling on that? Like I, they just sound, I mean, to me, they just sound better, but... I think it's cool. I love the nostalgia of it all. You know how it is when we got excited to go buy a record. Yep. You know, we go to the record store, they get that 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 bag, you know, that was always crunchy and you got six albums in there and you know that you had your glass of wine or whatever and you're going to play each one front to back, side to side. Yeah, and you have that, just have it, I, well, not exactly the same genre, but I remember getting my Kiss record back in like, yeah. I'm in junior high, you get Kiss Alive too, and you open it up and the big, like, oh my God. I know, it's and you're like. you're reading everything in there. You're reading everything. You're like, oh my God. Yeah, it's, I mean, like that's, you know, you don't just, you just don't get that from a digital download, <laughs> you know. It's so depressing. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it, and in a lot of ways, it's actually opened up a lot of a whole new world for all of us, I guess, but, but it's still, yeah, you still want, you still want that. Yeah. <laughs> still want, you, still, you still want this. You still want to see this. I know. Yeah. It's the good, it's the, <laughs> this is the good stuff. I always think that yeah. my parents had the big console tube. Uh, stereo at home and my yes. mom had a huge collection of like 50s and 60s records and stuff and I used to sit there for hours listening to that stuff and yeah. there's just nothing like that sound 
<laughs> no, of course. And my brothers and sisters will go out and buy, you know, Phyllis Hyman's yeah. first album. Yep. And I would listen to that when they were, and I was summer vacation. I would listen to that. My first 45 was Queen Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. And that blew your mind probably, right? <laughs> I ran to the store to get that. It was 99 cents. Yeah. I came home and I played it over and over and over again. Never got tired of it. Yeah, I had that and Elton John's Yellow Brick Road album. Yellow Brick Road. You know what's funny? I got into that later on in years. My sister, I had a sister who listened, used to listen to her, uh, them, uh, Elton John, Gino Vanelli, yep. all these people. And um, she was the kind of the rock chick and in, in the <laughs> the Puerto Rican rock chick, <laughs> I call her. There you go. But she was, in, she was the one who exposed me to all that side. Awesome. And I fell in love with that as well. Yeah, because again, it's like, it's the beat, it's the music. It's it's just, it stuff just grabs you, you know, it's, it's, it's so right. good. Um, who were, you know, when you were coming out, like back in the 80s and that kind of thing, who were you looking up to? Like, who was your, your sort of like, or even, even people that were peers that you admired what they did the first one that rings true to mind when i was a kid um probably 13 14 was Giorgio Moroder. yeah yeah his um approach to what he was doing the musicality that he had the tech that he had the savvy i mean uh the savory and savvy weirdness of putting these things together that made sense that's what really got me yeah, there's a um. What's I can't. I should know the name of it. They, they they won the record of the year that he's on that record that just came out a couple of years ago with the two robots. I can't think of the name. <laughs> oh no no. Are you talking? Wait, was it an older album or a newer? No, a newer album. album. A couple of years ago. I can't think of the name. Oh, but he, I don't know that well, one. But I know that he, did, he was part of a group called Munich Machine, and they did have those two robots on the cover. Yeah. Well, they, they actually, yeah, these, these guys brought him in to do some of the tunes. If I said it, you'd know it. I can't. Oh, you're talking about that Punk. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a friend of mine yeah. actually co-produced that record. Um, Chris. Uh, Very cool. But uh, but what's cool on that record is actually they do a thing where they're playing the track, and then Joji Moroder is talking about on the track about I don't know if you've heard that, but he's talking about how things started and how he came up yeah, with the idea. history yeah and i'm like that's Fantastic. so interesting you know it's so it, is, cool. it is um it is so yeah so moroder who, who else were some of the guys like because you had guys out of new york too right you mean as out of producers yeah yeah producers like we're doing kind of in the same genre house music the other person i looked up to was chef pettibone okay and chef pettibone was a remixer um in the 80s and his claim to fame um he did Lolita Holloway. Hmm. He did uh, some, a Dan Hartman thing, I think. And he was remixing everyone. He was doing everybody. And then he got a hold of remixing Madonna. Right. And when he got a hold of remixing Madonna, they bring him in as a producer for Vogue. Wow. Yeah. And then his career catapulted as a producer. And uh, we still, we still, we still chat every so often. And it's, that kind of inspiration that really helped mold me right. personally. Yeah. Cause those guys were, they were sort of trailblazers, right? I mean, just like you are. Too. They were on their game. And that's the thing that I loved about it. It was just because I love being technical in the studio. Um, and, and now be musical of, of course, you know, but <clears throat> having other people around like Craig and I have another friend, my friend, Jay Capo. Um, these guys are talented wonderful soulful musicians and i i love that about them yeah because that takes it to a whole nother level right it's not just remixing it's producing that's what it did for me it took me to a whole nother level yeah and that's awesome and that's also it's great to keep growing right <laughs> you kind of you kind of have your path but then these new elements start coming in and it helps you kind of push it to another a whole nother realm. yeah that's exactly what it helped me do i mean i can only you can only program beats for a certain amount of time and then take right. samples and all that other stuff and that's cool but when somebody comes in and shows you a chord progression yeah 
I melt. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. somebody who's like talented because Craig is, is kind of a crazy creative. Uh, he is nuts. That's why I hang out with him. He's just nuts. He's a lunatic and he just loves doing it. That's just, oh, yeah, he said, yeah. And he's, oh. and he's super smart, which is a big part of that. Right. You can be a great, I mean, that's the thing people always think like, <laughs> Oh, I've got to be the world's best guitar player, the best musician, but that's only part of the, part of the game. Right. It's, it goes beyond that to be successful. Yeah. His attitude towards it is what I like. Hmm. What's your, his, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, it's it's say, what's your advice for guys? I guess I would say kids, but people that young people that are starting out in this business and trying to make their mark, like what's, what's the best advice you can give them? You really wanted me to tell you the truth about that one? Yes, actually. <laughs> I'm going to tell them to don't quit your day job. Yeah, I know. Because everybody thinks that, you know, especially in the DJ business or the remix business mm -hmm. or, the, you know, when you're doing dance records or whatever, right. that it's just going to, it's just going to flip overnight and you're going to become a success. Nothing is forever. That's the other piece of advice I have to give them. Yeah. But that's, you know what? That's important. I always, people ask me about the musician thing, the pro musician thing. And I'm like, you know what? It's almost if you can't dissuade them, that's the only time we should ever try to do it. Because as you know, I mean, even with what you do or what I do, it, it's like, it's a challenge, but you got to, I think if you love it first and it, you almost forget about the challenge of it, right? Well, that's where you get lost. When you get lost in what you're doing and it's coming out better than you anticipated, uh, that's when you know that you, you've got something. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Tell me about the, but, you know, you do it because you, you feel it, you not yeah. do it because you're going to make money off of it because you won't make money off. Of it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I think like if you, and also too, that gets in the way of the work, right? If you're trying to think, well, I'm going to do this because I think this is going to make more money. And then you're not really, no. being, you're, the truth goes out the window. <laughs> exactly. You're not being honest with yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, the project you're doing with Craig, with Craig J. Um, so I know it's a lot of different things going on with that, but tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing specifically. Um, that all started with our involvement with HBO, uh, during sex in the city. Oh, okay, cool. Um, which a lot of people don't know. We did music for the show, awesome. uh, around six seasons that the show was operating. Wow. And I became good friends with the, uh, music director, Dan Lieberstein. And, uh, Dan was such a great guy. He was a fan of my work and, uh, you know, he bought me in and then he started saying, Hey, I need a spot for this. I need a spot for that. I need this, I need that. And then I brought Craig into the picture and I said, Craig, I need someone with more musicality than I think that I can carry because we need something else. Yeah, because you're kind of scoring, so did. right? Yeah, we did. So we came in and we did it together. So when Dan had the idea of what he wanted, I laid down the foundation tracks and I told Craig our direction and then we collaborated on the direction mm -hmm. and then we sent it in and it, it did well. Yeah. Very well. Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah. And those shows, I mean, the thing about it, those shows are so big that everybody in the world hears what you're doing. It's not just your normal fans, right? Right. So, I mean, so the shamanics basically is the name that we came under. Mm -hmm. um, and we decided that we had all this material that was so uh, laid back and uh, musical and chord driven and, and techie at the same time that we wanted to do an album around it. And we started working on this probably, <laughs> I don't know if he told you, probably like maybe eight, 10 years ago. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, he, he told me he was doing stuff with you, but he didn't, he didn't give me the specifics. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, dig, I'm digging you for the specifics. <laughs> yeah, he's going on forever because he was like, when are we going to put this out? I'm like, no, we got to keep going. No. So I was like, <laughs> we got to do more tracks. No. So then we finally um, 
got it in line. And then I had a friend in Chicago who uh, opened an indie label and she heard the project and she signed it. Awesome. So, yeah. I mean, that's, and that's great to have that background to launch something like that, right? The sex in the city. Yeah. Thing. She really believed in the project and I'm glad that she did. And, and we really believe in what we're doing and it's, it's different. It really is. Sure. There's there, you hear the four, four kick, kick drum in there and some of the tracks that are there, but the way that we are approached to it is really freaky and interesting, musical and gorgeous and beautiful. It's a lot of, a lot of things. Yeah. And you're bringing a lot of guys, a lot of the Chicago sort of homies into that too. Right. Yeah. You know, like uh, for instance, uh, our friend Suzanne Palmer came in and she did a scat on one of the tracks that was just brilliant. You know, we had a, a friend of ours, Kurt, uh, who is a guitarist. So we got a lot of things going on with it. Awesome. What's, um, so what's the future for you? Obviously the COVID thing has been weird, but I mean, like a lot of what you do is at home anyways, but what's, what's going on as far as obviously the thing with Craig, what's coming up for you? Um, outside of uh, this right now, I'm just kind of concentrating on a little bit of merchandising okay? Um, because uh, I don't know exactly what's happening with all the club life situation is right. to me has been completely, completely obliterated. And um, we got a kind of a trickle down thing. And I know you understand this when, I say record companies are not really putting out a lot of dance music because there's no clubs and there's right. no bars that are open. So they can't really cater to anything. And then people like myself and everyone else that tours around and does these things, we're not needed right now. Are you saying that is not going to come back for a while? Yeah. Are you selling? Uh, obviously, you, you must be like on the normal outlets, but digital outlets. But what has that kind of been your focus as far as the marketing and getting, getting your product out? Um, in terms of music? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do have a small indie label it's called Cha Cha Boom Recordings, and I've been just doing a bunch of underground club tracks here and there. But I stopped everything because I wanted to work on the Ralphie LP project right. because I wanted to go into a merchandising situation. Because I said, if I'm going to be able to move music, I should be able to do something like this, which is a, a limited edition kind of situation. And there's also this. Nice. <laughs> cool. So there's you, you know, I knew like, I'm going to expect you to send me one of those shirts just so you know. Anyway, go ahead. Well, well, <laughs> by all means, by all means. And it's, it's funny because this has been, it's, it's, it's interesting because this is kind of like a commemorative thing for this, you know, everybody's streaming their DJ sets kind of thing. Well, I was just going to ask you about and, that, but go ahead. Right. And I, so I became kind of a hex, a hex, um, um, Max Headroom kind of situation. <laughs> And so my friend in London had um, done the graphic for this. That's which great. I, I love it. Funny. Yeah. So it's kind of glowing with all the graphics in there. I thought mm. it was hysterical. So that's when I said, you know, let's do something else with this because, you know, we have to try to make some money. Yeah, you got to so. yeah, you got to reinvent. I mean, that's actually that's a big reason why I started the podcast. I'm like I'm sitting here at home, I'm bummed out about not playing and I'm like I got to do something just to get to be creative and, and have an Yeah, I mean, a lot of us are starting to do that what you just said. Mm -hmm. We're starting to do something creative of what we have and that's what I've been doing and so far the response has been good. Just want to get some more traffic to look at all the all the merchandise on the sites. So. Yeah, what's what's your thought on the live streaming and the DJ thing? I know it's a bit tricky with the, with the right stuff and um, you know, the thing that I'm not liking is, and, and I'm going to be very, very honest with you. Mm -hmm. The thing that has really upset me more than anything is I had a friend of mine, a very close friend go to me, you know, when we were doing our thing, they would spend a hundred dollars on tickets. They would spend probably $50 on drugs. Yeah. Probably another 75, another hundred dollar on drinks. If they're drinking when you're on here streaming, 
And mind you, I'm not putting up a PayPal or Venmo or anything else like that because I'm just doing it because I want to do it. Right. I want to play. Music. Yeah, you want to get your stuff out there, right? Yeah. Right. I just want to play. And um, yeah, the lack of support has been kind of like uh, very uh, discouraging. Hmm. Well, I think, you know, the part of that deal too is that people aren't used to paying for music anymore. I mean, that's sort of like we're all suffering for that, that right? That's ex- absolutely, you're absolutely correct. And that's why I said, if I'm going to make or squeeze anything out of what's left here yeah. is to do the merchandising situation yeah, and, and, and figure out what can happen that way. Yeah, and it's also fun and you can control the look of it and the vibe. Um, it's not just a digital download, which is, I mean, it's cool. No, but... no. I mean, you know, how, you know what it is right now. You cannot make any money selling music. You just can't. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's the upside to Spotify and then there's the downside. <laughs> you have people that have millions and millions of streams and they're getting checks for $50, you know? Yeah, it's true. And the, so the streaming thing is you can have people subscribe to your channel on Twitch, for instance. And so, you know, you've got, you know, what's weird. This is the thing. So you've got, I've got like, let's see, um, close to like a hundred people, viewers, it says. Right. And not even a hundred. No, it's like 5,000 viewers or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you got like 90 subscriptions. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. Like they'll, they'll even, they'll come and view you, but they won't even subscribe. <laughs> it's like, I know it's so, it's so tricky. I mean, and I have friends like on YouTube and too, like I did a, a, um, a thing with Ryan Higa. I don't know if you know Ryan, but Ryan has, he has 21 million subscribers <laughs> on YouTube. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. But like, then how do you make a living from that? I mean, I know there are ways to do it, but. Oh, no, absolutely. So is he playing his original, his own stuff? Well, he's actually, yeah, he actually is like kind of like a blogger is what he's doing. And, and he, it's a fun show, but, you know, it's well, all. You'd be surprised. He's got money coming to him if he hasn't done it yet. Yeah. It's coming to him because if you need at least, I think there's a whole graph online. You might want to look this up. Right. It's like if you have like five, 400,000 subscribers, you get this amount of money every month. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's really tricky, crazy. the whole monetization thing. Like, yeah, I mean, it it's all, I think a lot of that stuff, even with like, you know, the um, BMI and ASCAP have gone and re- tried to renegotiate with with uh, Spotify and that kind of thing, but that's all just such a. It's still the wild west. <laughs> you, you'd think it would have been settled by now, but it's really not been. No, it is. And then actually, streaming makes it even worse because on Twitch, this all this all the DJs are playing copyrighted material and they right. can't get them to stop. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. As soon as they and they, they were trying to do it on Facebook, and as soon as they went up on it, they would get shut down within ten minutes. And- yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so it's like I I don't leave my streams up there for review. Hmm. Um, I don't let them record. I, I just stream once and then that's it. You never see it again. Right. If I decide to do it, it's because I want to replay it, but otherwise I won't leave it up. There. Well, a lot of your stuff too is like proprietary. Like you don't want people, I mean, I, obviously, but well, actually that's an interesting question because back in the day people were trading cassettes and they were doing that, that kind of thing. Like, and then now we've gotten it all these years later, it's become a really complicated situation, right? It is. It's a free-for-all. You say Wild West, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. It's tricky, too, because you still got to make a living. So you're, you're working hard on these tunes and they get out there. Figure out, you have to figure out what to do. You know, the one thing I wish that Twitch would do is just charge a fee every month for people. Right. It would solve everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Spotify is trying to do that, but doesn't get back to the artists. It doesn't seem like, but... Not at all. I know. Yeah, it's <laughs> tricky. It's tricky. Um Thank you so much for joining me. Like I, I know, like we were talking about before we went on recording. Like you have such a history that like we could do like five hours with you easily. Well, yeah, there's so much to talk about and a lot of ground to cover. But I just touching on the little things um, 
it's great. Well, you have really you have a lot of a lot of um, awesome at you know background and also a lot of advice to give. I think which is which is great, and it's important because like you know luckily with the streaming thing like what we're doing with the Zoom stuff and podcasting, it's kind of a, been a great outlet for for artists, right? Recently, yeah, it has recently, especially when they do it right and they're doing live shows and things like that. I mean, it it can work for the temporary. Thing that it is right now it can work if it's done correctly yeah that's awesome um so we'll look how, how can people find you online i know you've got all your different outlets what's what's the best way for them to find you uh the best way is the first of all you have the uh facebook page which is the uh the official ralphie rosario page which is called the official ralphie rosario good name and then you have <laughs> right and then um as far as the merchandising thing you have the ralphie store r-a-l-p-h-i store at on etsy which is uh the exclusive thing right now okay. um and you also have me on instagram which is ralphie underscore rosario once again there's no e after ralph after uh i on ralph i know you've been doing that your whole life haven't explained well, that. It, it really gets under my skin I know. every you know half my life i've been called greg <laughs> it's like whatever i don't care just send me the yeah, so the, those are the main channels to look out for me but uh there's also you can look me up on mixcloud as well um there's also some dj sets and some streams you can check out that way also okay awesome and what we'll do also for all the people that are watching and listening is that we're going to include all of your links in the podcast description so they can find you um awesome thank you so much ralphie and i uh, you know there's some other projects we have a mutual friend uh, dean bushala there's some some interesting stuff. yes i, I, can't, I don't know if I, can, I don't know if i can talk about it right now but there's some interesting stuff coming up with him too so no he's been great and it's been interesting meeting someone who's really as heavy in the film as we we are in the music yeah and we hit it off immediately yeah dean uh, well uh, just to let people know who he is so dean is actually one of the world's most successful reality tv producers and directors yes he is he has like ice road tr- truckers deadliest catch moonshine and all these right. it's crazy we, we just talked uh, i did an interview with him a couple about a week and a half ago and uh yeah we talked a lot about yeah, Craig about introduced me to dean and we've been doing some a lot of crazy interviews and all kinds of great stuff um, and he's been filming a lot of stuff we've been doing. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, there's some so there's some uh, exciting stuff happening with that. We'll, once, that once that gets out there, we'll let people know what that is. Sure, um, sure. But cool, man. Hey, have a great day uh, or evening, actually, in Chicago. And uh, we'll definitely, maybe down the road, we'll catch up again and do another one of these. Absolutely, Daryl. It was a pleasure doing this. It was nice to meet you. Have yourself a great week. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. I hope you and your family are safe. I hope everyone's out there, that their families and their friends, everyone is safe. And let's let's turn 2021 into everything that we that we want. Yeah, exactly. I'm down for that. Start start yeah. anew. <laughs> but, Absolutely. All right, cool, man. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good day. Have a good night and have a good, good week. Cool. <laughs> Thanks for joining us and please consider subscribing to our podcast and follow us on our social media pages for guest announcements.